Uh, it says in First Thessalonians uh, chapter one, verse one, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians in God the Father, the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. So, um, introduction, greetings from the guys that are uh, with Paul as he's putting this together. Paul founded this church. So while we run into others, Colossae and uh, you know those that weren't actually started by Paul, but he's heard of their faith and sent letters to them. Not so uh, here with Thessalonica. Paul was directly involved in their development. We see the missionary journeys that went on here, starting out addressing Silvanus, uh, also known as Silas. Uh, in a few locations, and um, you can see that Acts 17 verses 1 through 9, Philippian jailer there, Silas uh, with them. Uh, the church at Thessalonica knows Silvanus as a result of all of that very well. So you know he's got that whole idea. Timothy comes in uh, earlier, Acts 16 uh, verses 1 through 3, there in Lystra. Uh, you know, Timothy's parents are Greek father and Jewish mother. So that plays into some of the discussion that's going to go on here because this church is dealing with uh, the Judaizers pretty strongly. You know, those that are coming out of uh, Jerusalem now with a very strong attitude like, okay, we're, you know, here to uh, tell you whether this church is approved of or, oh, I don't care tonight, John. Just, yeah, it's going to be whatever. The few of us and you know, so anyway, uh, so there's there's this growing sort of uh, animosity towards Paul, which, you know, Paul wrote the church at Corinth because of the same reason. He goes there, he starts, he ministers, sets up works, leaves, departs, others come in and, you know, they're trying to cut off Paul's influence over that church by insisting that the people need to return to the law in particular circumcision, and they're trying to steer the church towards things that have already been settled. Acts chapter 15, Jerusalem Council, all the leaders hear the Holy Spirit saying, we're going to require two things of the Gentile church, abstain from sexual immorality and, you know, stay away uh, from idolatry. Simple plan uh, for those Gentile believers. Here, Thessalonica falls under the influence of those who show up come out of Jerusalem, they've got their sort of, you know, it's almost like you can see them standing around in a cluster, like putting their stamp of approval on one another. You know, that's sort of where they're at, is they've come out of Jerusalem and they're acting like they're the almighty authority over all of Christianity now and will tell you who you should be listening to as teachers and, you know, what your doctrine's supposed to be. And they came late to the game, you know what I'm saying? They're, they're joining the doctrine that's well established within Christianity after the fact. And now they're trying to steer it off course. So the conflict can be seen, uh, you know, several times as we move through this. In chapter 1, verse 2, Paul says, We give thanks to God always for you all. Now this is, again, contested. It simply means that at every occasion of remembrance, they're thankful. You know, 
I, I think you know what I mean when there are certain groups or people where when you think about them or remember them, it doesn't automatically invoke within you thankfulness. You know what I'm saying? Just, you have to like work through your own struggles in that moment as you recall who they are and what they are and what they've done. And, you know, you've got to process. You go through in order to be uh, the way the Lord would have you to be. The church at Thessalonica is a church where when they think upon them, it immediately causes them to be thankful and to pray, to pray for what the Lord is doing in their midst. So it's a cool church in that they are proactive and healthy to that degree. So we thank you know God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers, remembering without ceasing your work of faith, labor of love, and patience of hope in our Lord Jesus Christ in the sight of our God and Father. Some doctrinal issues uh, there uh, regarding Jesus being that same God and Father, but not going to dwell on that a whole bunch. Uh, no need to start a fight where there isn't one, but it's a doctrinal foundational element right there. Remembering without ceasing, these people are highly motivated in their faith. They're proactive in sharing and ministering and being, you know, sort of out there. And uh, the statement that follows, knowing, beloved brethren, your election by God, significant in the concept of you can know, you um, I'm not going to take the time to jump us all around, but there are so many passages that give us the assurance of salvation because it's reliant upon Jesus Christ's finished work at the cross. You know, there are works that should result. James in his book is telling us that faith without works is dead. Okay, so there are things that should be present in our lives, but none of them are things that grant us salvation. They're the result. We've experienced the saving, and now the works should accompany. They should be present. The speech, the conduct, the love, the agape, those things should be present. Litmus test, sort of, you can know. And therein is the point. You can know. John telling us, and uh, it was a first John uh, five. I forget where I'm just totally grasping at straws, but you know, you can know that you are saved. There are so many within Christianity that don't know this. Uh, I'll never forget <clears throat> Mike Dynick being here and his mother was nearing the end of her days. And Mike was traveling a lot to go see her in Northern Maine or right the coast. Um, staunch Catholic you know, raised, reared, devout, following. And as Mike was constantly trying to bring her to that saving message of Jesus Christ, she could never bring herself to say, you know, at first, to say, I am saved. I know I have salvation. Why? Because the doctrine of her denomination was teaching her she had to work to achieve that. And that... God might accept you if you worked enough, if you were good enough. And you know, he just very gently over time showed her, no, you don't have to prove yourself to God. What you've proven to God is you're incapable of all of this. And so you have the grace of God that's imparted to you. 
It's in the end, you know, not so much with a woman like that, that particular case, but in the end, so often what you're talking about is someone's pride. They're saying, I can do enough work, behave well enough in, you know, all of these self-defined areas that I will be acceptable to God. There's a lot of pride involved in that. And, you know, our faith is one of humility. So here, continuing that section, verse 5, for our gospel did not come to you in word only, but also in power and in the Holy Spirit, in much assurance, as you know what kind of men we were among you for your sake. Our example was good. You saw how we lived. This power that is spoken of. You know, people talk about <clears throat> wishing that they could see miracles today the way that they're recorded in, you know, these epistles in the book of Acts. And I'll say again, it's still happening all around us. You know, I shared it the other night, but um, Rob Power working as a sternman, tending lobster, tra lobster traps, got an infection in his hand. Man, pretty severe. Shellfish, bait, you know, a lot of possibilities there. Infection, got to be treated, goes to the hospital, antibiotics. Continues with that course and wakes up and his whole arm is swollen into his shoulder. Like infection in hand has taken over overnight. Like to the hospital, they're like, yeah, you're not leaving. So they admit him, but he doesn't want to stay there. A lot of it has to do with paying that giant bill from being admitted. But, you know, he doesn't want to stay there. So what do we do for treatment in the end? You know, they set him out the door with three prescriptions, and they say, and it's, it's serious. I mean, they're essentially saying, look, we get it. You don't want to stay here, you know, paying for your bills, insurance coverage, all that stuff. But if you're not going to allow us to keep you admitted and give you intravenous antibiotics, you have to take these three oral antibiotics at the same time. Like this infection, no joke, this has to be taken care of. This is just last week. So, you know, one's like 15 bucks, another one's, I don't know, I'm making it up, but something like $45, and, you know, one's like $321 for this. And just, he calls me up like, so what am I supposed to do about that? You know, young guy who's walking away from the world, choosing to follow Christ in obedience, you know, newly married, can't be tending lobster with this infection in his arm, right? So no work. Praying, trusting the Lord. And uh, I said, why don't you call the pharmacy? I think the Lord is telling me to tell you, call, call the pharmacy and just ask. Is there a cheaper way to get this drug? And like, you know, it's like brand new, no, you know, generic version of it sort of thing. And so he calls me back just a short while later and says, yeah, I called the pharmacy, like you said. And the woman said she'd go check. She called me back a short while later and said they got the price reduced for me. I said, oh, how much is it? He said, $11. <laughs> right? You know, it's it, you have not because you ask not. You know, the, the things that are going on in the church at Thessalonica, that we worship the same God. This is the same faith. This is the same Jesus. It's not a difference. Right? We have access to this same power, this same authority, this assurance that comes from the Holy Spirit, the work that's being done 
amongst us. You know, I, just lives changed by the Holy Spirit to become more obedient followers of Christ. Remarkable work. Verse 6, and you became followers of us and of the Lord. Once again, Paul's holding himself and Silvanus and Timothy up as examples to say, you saw our conduct and you can follow us. Always makes me nervous when a minister starts saying, don't look at me. Don't follow me. You don't want to, oh, you know, you peel back the curtain, you'll find. What are we going to find? Like, you know what I'm saying? Like, shouldn't it be that what's on the front end is, you know, the full depth of who that man is? If we can start peeling this back like an onion, we don't want to find the rottenness that is within. Paul's saying, we were changed by Christ. You witnessed how we behaved, and we set an example for you. You became followers of us and of the Lord. Having received the word in much affliction, the uh, uh, persecution that was coming now pretty strongly from uh, Rome and the Jews and uh, the religious leaders in Jerusalem. So they received it under much affliction with joy of the Holy Spirit. So that you became examples to all the mass uh, in Macedonia and Achaia who believed for from you, the word of the Lord was sounded forth, not only in Macedonia and Achaia, but also in every place. Your faith toward God has gone out so that we do not need to say anything for they themselves, the works, the, the word that's gone out, uh, declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you. And how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God and to wait for his son from heaven, whom he raised from the dead, even Jesus, who delivers us from the wrath to come. A couple really key points in verse 10, and I'll try to remember to dig into those pretty heavily. But the, you know, to set the discussion and the stage where he's talking about the evidence of our authority and the accuracy of what we delivered to you in the gospel is the works that are being done amongst you. You are changed lives. You know, you, you, no one can ever take away spiritual work that somebody has done in someone else's life. You know what I'm saying? I, I hear that, you know, well, I, you know, youth pastor, he, you know, screwed up pretty bad. And so therefore I fell you know, into a whole bunch of junk and bad behavior myself. Really? So um, your focus was the religious leader that was right in front of you, not your relationship with the Lord personally, right? These people are coming in, the Judaizers, and saying, can't follow Paul. Dude's a total wreck. He's, he's you know, nobody that you want. He's not an apostle. He put that title on himself. They go through all of these Things, you know, circumcision, he teaches against the laws of Moses. They're saying all kinds of things. But these were people who were total pagans and heathens before Paul and Silvanus and Timothy showed up and ministered to them, and that delivered them from the bondage that they were living in in sin. Right? They've been baptized into the faith, filled with the Holy Spirit, walking with the Lord, doing his ministry. There's fruit in their lives, fruit in their denomination, fruit in how they were following the teachings of Paul. 
So the proof is in the pudding. Old English term. You know, we kind of accept it as, it, you know, its meaning of, you know, you find the substance and the truth within the product, right? It's either good or it's bad. You know, it came from that English terminology of the proof is in the taste of the pudding. You know, people are like, oh, you got to try this chocolate, whatever. Here, for all that they built it up to be and made it look nice until that, you know, is in your mouth. <laughs> that's where the proof is. These people are driven by their love for Christ in the study of God's word, sharing their faith with everyone, miracles being done amongst them. The power of the Lord is working in their midst. And along come the Judaizers are like, hey, 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 none of that. You guys, are any of you guys circumcised? You know, this is where they start. The rules, their rules. Hey, 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 what's, what version of the Bible are you reading from right now? Right, this is the stuff people get into. Well, wait a second. What, what, what? Did you say you go to church on Sunday? You know, what day of the week do you go to church? What version of the Bible do you, do you eat? Pork? Do you drink caffeine? You know, they get these weird lists. Dietary restraints and human regulation where, yeah, now that's going to make you closer to God. How much more plainly can it be written out in the scripture, right? Colossians chapter 2, we just got... Through Paul is just saying, let no man judge you in food and or drink, new moons, Sabbath. It's all outward stuff, man-made regulations. The scripture's distinctly clear on it, and yet people still getting hung up on this. You know, the women in your church, you know, they cut their hair. They wear, you know, they wear slacks. Remember when that was the thing? Yeah. Women started wearing pants. Just the disgrace. I understand it's a dramatic cultural shift, but it doesn't have anything to do with the depth of your relationship with Christ. You know, clothes you wear, things, it's just foolishness, and the scripture addresses it so thoroughly. That statement in verse 10, you know, that they're waiting for his son from heaven. You know, they have this active participating role in looking for Christ. That's where the church was at. Now, right now, we're hearing both directions. There's a bunch of people that turn on the news and they go, Jesus is going to be back any second based on what they're seeing in front of them. And there are those others that are like, oh, they've been saying that forever. You know, this whole Jesus is going to be back any minute. Peter himself told us they would be talking like that once we were near the end. Here... Paul is saying, you need to keep your focus on Jesus Christ, his eminent return, you know, even Jesus who delivers us from the wrath to come. From the wrath to come, specifically, you know, the, the definite article, the wrath that is to come. Christ delivers us from that. That should be the focus of the church. You know, as Chuck Smith is nearing the end of his life, and there's much that I have no grounds to speak on. I have no direct knowledge of. But there are a few points that came up in open discussion amongst the pastors in Calvary Chapel. And as we were wrestling with that, one of the things that was said was, you know, Chuck is just stuck in this mode of always looking back at the prophecies, always looking back at 
you know, the eminent return of Jesus Christ and the rapture of the church. And that is just such a yesteryear, old school way of doing things. We need to move forward as an organization now that Chuck is passing from the scene to the new and the exciting. We need to embrace a different method and a different message. That's, you know, the old wineskin. And now we need to, you know, make room for the new wine to be poured in. It's the same message the church has ever had. We're being admonished continuously throughout the New Testament by all who wrote the epistles. Stay the course on this message. What is the church doing now? Abandoning. And look at the worldliness that's immediately coming in. Pro-Marxist, pro-leftist, pro-socialist, pro-Black Lives Matters, right in the pulpit. You know, promotion of communism and terrorism coming right off the same pulpits that have preached God's word. Failed systems of satanic origin who renounce the existence of our God, attack and punish those who worship. Presently, the communist nations around the world, this is their MO. And the church is going, yeah, that sounds like a good idea. And they're marching off in droves to go join the social justice warriors. There's one commander and king over the body of Christ. It is Jesus Christ himself. And he told us that he's given his word that it would guide us. You know, correct us, reprove us, train us in righteousness. So we follow the Lord in it. This church is being pulled away. Same way our churches are being pulled away in today's you know experience first thessalonians chapter 2 verse 1 for you yourselves know brethren that our coming to you was not in vain it wasn't empty when we came and ministered amongst you but even after we had suffered before and were spitefully treated in philippi so so you got to kind of get the gears right i mean this this is the philippian jailer this is paul saying we're not leaving here because we're, I'm a Roman citizen. <laughs> I was just brutally treated and imprisoned without anyone ever having any evidence, let alone going through proper step. I'm not, you're not just going to like shoo me away from your town. This is a very memorable experience here. For you yourselves uh, know, brethren, that our coming to you was not in vain. For even after we had suffered before we were spitefully treated in Philippi, as you know, we were bold and... Uh, our God, to speak to you the gospel of God in much conflict. And for our exhortation did not come from error or uncleanness, nor was it in deceit. You know, the men who are coming and trying to pull them away, there's deceitfulness in their conduct and in their behavior. Uh, it's, it's always very revealing when you discover even the smallest thing that someone is communicating to you is false. It really changes everything about, wait a minute, can I trust what's coming out of your mouth? And what they've showed up accusing Paul of is Paul's message and his credentials are fake. And we're the real deal. Paul is saying, really? Why don't you actually ask some questions of the people who were present, you know, 
Jerusalem Council, when all of the church leadership decided abstain from sexual idolatry, you know, immorality and idolatry. That was the summary of the mandates to be handed down to the Gentile church. Well, why don't you ask people that were present that saw these things take place? understand you don't need to whether i was given why don't you ask if i was given letters of recommendation from the church leadership in jerusalem paul has both heavenly and earthly credentials now they're calling it into question they're the ones that are being deceitful not paul verse four but we as we have been approved by god to be entrusted with the gospel even so we speak not as pleasing men, right? If they were trying to please men, you know, that's they're slick talkers. You know, that Paul, Silas, those guys, they're just, you know, they know how to pour on the oil. That's the things that's being said to them. They're manipulators. You know, they conjole. They constantly, you know, get people to do and say what they want to. He's saying, wait a minute. These guys come there with an anger and a persecution, a resentment for us. We haven't ever like come and attacked and you know done any of what they're accusing us of. They are the ones that are doing that. They are the ones that are assaulting Paul's credentials. They are the ones who are tearing apart Paul's ministry and like again sweep it all aside. He's these people are walking into a church that has been nurtured and knit and founded and created by the efforts of Paul and the men who are with him. Like, wouldn't it make sense that you could, like, listen, ask of Paul, ask him these questions, look into him? If, if his ministry in your life has had such a positive effect, you would think that you'd be able to weigh that out. Like, oh, oh yeah, like, you know, this, this is what this man produced in my life. He didn't produce, you know, deceitfulness and lust, which these men all have as part of their character. Right? That, that was the whole thing, Jesus arguing with the religious leaders, you're, you're sons of the devil, Jesus is saying. You know, I'll put all the brakes on for you. You're liars. When you speak lies, you understand it because that's your native tongue. That's the devil's native tongue. That's your native tongue. And you're like your dad, the devil, who was a murderer from the beginning, and now you're murderers. He looks him right in the face. You're sons of the devil and you're murderers. Just lets the dead air hang there and, you know, create the awkwardness. Why? Because they're planning on murdering him. Right? He isn't just saying this because, you know, they have some kind of childish, uh, you know, grade school playground mentality of, you know, our church is better than your church sort of junk. It's, it's literally they've got murder in their heart. These men are following the same thing. Their, their religion is the same religion that murdered Jesus. Paul is saying, you want to find it, just ask questions. You'll find out they're liars. They're deceitful. The minute you start finding the lies, don't listen anymore. But as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, even so we speak not pleasing men, but God who tests our hearts. For neither at any time did we use flattering words, right? You offended me that one time. What did you do? Did, was it necessary? Was it appropriate? You know, as a Christian, you know, I've, I've had to be told, hey, as a Christian, you know, you should not be driving 100 miles an hour everywhere you go. And that's against the law. It's a bad testimony. I was a young man. 
you know, teenager, when I gave my life to Christ, took older, more mature brothers, look me in the face and say, smarten up, cut it out, <laughs> grow up, you know, very helpful, very helpful. You know, these, these guys, you know, they, they are all full of themselves, you know, and they're flattering with them. Paul doesn't flatter anybody. You know, he just says the way it is. You know, remember the prophet Micaiah, Old Testament, remember that whole deal? They call him before, uh, who are, who are the kings, Jehoshaphat and was it, uh, Ahab. Ahab and Jehoshaphat, and you know, 500 prophets who have all made for themselves these horns that they have on their head. And their lead false prophet, he's made his set out of iron. You know, and they've come before the king, 500 strong. And yes, you should go out and battle your enemies. And with, you know, these horns, he will gouge them. And uh, Micaiah, Jehoshaphat, listens to all the false prophets and says, you know, don't we actually have like a like a real prophet? That's literally sort of the way it's phrased. Like, you know, that's a nice show, five hundred performers. But do, isn't there like an actual prophet? That's what he's asking. And Ahab says there is that one, but I hate him because he never says anything good about me. <laughs> Why all your faults? You're a liar and you're a rebel who's destroying the nation. But anyway, you know when. Micaiah comes out and Jehoshaphat asks him to prophesy. Uh, Ahab's still making the slanderous accusations of this guy is not going to say anything nice. He's cruel. He's mean. He's harsh with his mouth. You know, this is a safe place. We're not supposed to have any kind of criticism here. And so Jehoshaphat says, uh, Micaiah, tell us what the Lord has said about whether we should go out to battle and whether we'll have victory. And Micaiah says, oh, yeah, definitely you should go. In such a way that Ahab knows he's being completely sarcastic. And he says to Jehoshaphat, didn't I tell you that this guy never says anything nice about me? Just with the response, yeah, you should, you should definitely go. You know, however he said it to him, Ahab knew this guy is being a jerk. He's smug. And he's telling me off. And so demands prophesy for real what is God saying? Micaiah says, you're going to die. That's how it's going down. Go out to the battlefield. Do whatever tricks you're going to do, but you're not going to survive the occasion. And what's Ahab's response? Rather than brokenhearted and falling down and weeping and crying, he says to Josephat, who's right there, see, I told you, this guy never has anything nice to say about me. If the one only true prophet of God standing in the room just told you, you're not going to survive the day. Is your logical reaction, see, this guy's never nice to me. It's really weird. Very strange reaction. Here, Paul is saying, people don't like me. And you're looking at that like it's an evidence as to whether God has called me to be the minister that I am. <laughs> and Paul says it's not an evidence. The evidence is the teachings that I instilled in your life are they producing in you godliness? Can you see the work of the Lord in your life because of what I imparted to you and taught you and showed you and demonstrated to you? That's our credentials, is what he's saying. Proofs in the pudding. It's not in the opinions. 
It's not in all of the flowery junk that surrounds it. It's in the depth of it. C.S. Lewis saying, we should not count our churches by the number of heads that are there. We should count them by the gross combined weight. He didn't mean, you know, whether we had 10,000 pounds of Christians here. He's talking about the spiritual depth, the spiritual weight of the few individuals. That's, that's the credentials Paul forget. They're all full of deceit, and they don't minister with us. He says, continuing, you know, didn't use flattering words, nor a you know, as a cloak for covetousness. We weren't here for the money. God is my witness, nor did we seek glory from men. Verse 6, either from you or from others, when we might have made demands as apostles of Christ. So now they're attacking us because they think we were there promoting ourselves as apostles. And Paul is making the statement, we never did that when we were amongst you, and you know that. You know, they didn't show up and go around, shake hands, and hand out business cards. <laughs> I'm Will Cass, apostle of Jesus Christ. You know, pleased to meet you. You from the area? You know, it just, it isn't a meet and greet thing where they're flinging their credentials around. They come out of prison being horribly abused. Christ delivers them through miraculous circumstances and they walk right into ministering to these people and what? Teaching them the word of God and they take jobs in the community and they're there ministering as Christ gives them opportunity to. Now somebody comes in behind trying to steal the hearts and minds and the obedience, the loyalty to that congregation which Paul had established. So we were gentle among you, verse 7, just as Nurse, a nursing mother cherishes her own children. Maybe it's a little too intimate to talk about, but we're the adult class here. To watch a mother nursing a child and the eye contact between a mother and a child as she nourishes that child. It's a remarkable bond that you do not see anywhere else on planet Earth. Human being to human being, mother to her own child, nursing the connection, the look, the depth. doesn't even matter if it's in the child's heart. You just can't believe how much that mother is in love with that child. But there's a bond. This is where Paul puts himself here with this church. But we were gentle amongst you, just as a nursing mother cherishes her own child. See, I'm not, I'm not even stretching the context. This is Paul saying, this is how you people are to me. Imagine, mothers in the room, the few of you, somebody trying to get between you and your child and convince your child that they are better for that child than you. Imagine how, <laughs> I, I was going to say, get your hackles up. Um, you guys know where that term comes from? It's a hackle was the, big wooden block that had what we would describe as nails poked out or drilled through in perfect rows, and they use it to take uh, wool and just comb out with brutal force the wool that has been shorn off a sheep to take out the imperfections and get rid of them. And you 
And when you're done with that, very often they would turn it over and set it down with the hackles up. If you accidentally came in there in the dark and stumbled or landed on the hackles, it's very injurious. <laughs> All those nails standing up, you know, securely fastened through a very large block of wood. That's going to do you serious damage. That's the way a mother will react if you try to get between her and her children. Emotionally, yeah, I'm going to separate you. I'm going to convince your child you're bad and I'm better for your child than you are. Imagine how that would create in you an animosity, you know? Not coming over for another play date. You got to go. Get out. You know what I'm saying? Just anybody get between you and your kid? Like all the guys in the room are like, yeah, I get it. I'm looking at the mother's faces in there. They've all got a smugness on. Like, just try it. You know what I'm saying? I would, I would kill you. Okay. Paul has a heart for these people. To love them and nourish them and see them grow and to see the fruit that's already in them continue and to expand, become the beautiful thing that Christ intended. And along come these knuckleheads that act like, oh, we're better than Paul and you need to listen to us. And they're creating the division and the church that Paul is setting them on guard against. So affectionately longing for you, we were well pleased to impart to you not only the gospel of God, but also our own lives. Because... You had become dear to us, right? He's not saying that in an empty way. He was imprisoned to deliver this gospel. He was beaten. He was put in the stocks. This, this guy is literally willing to have to, you know, physical torments come upon him in order to, to deliver the gospel. It's a pretty strong credential, you know what I'm saying? When someone will go through physical brutality in order to get to you, well, I don't care what they're bringing, right? you got to appreciate it when they arrive. Now, what did these guys bring? Eternal life. The gospel message. Now, Judaizers showing up, trying to take them captive to their own thoughts, their own way of thinking. You are dear to us. For you, remember, brethren, our labor, our toil, for our laboring night and day, that we might not be a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of Christ. We took care of ourselves, our own homes. Paul talks about how in those situations, he actually worked and labored all the more intensely in order to take care of their needs as a missionary group. So he didn't show up and say, hey, by the way, I'm Apostle Paul, and these are the men that serve with me. Uh, we were just wondering if you could let us into the parsonage. You know, the church-owned home that we could stay in that and you guys could start bringing us food and we'll be here for the next three weeks doing sermons at the church. No, they went and got jobs. <laughs> and, and, and served and worked and so much so that Paul could take care of the group of them that were staying there. Others worked also. Not a burden. Set the example. I showed you how I was going to live. You witnessed our behavior amongst you. We weren't a burden to any of you. We preached to you the gospel of God. Freely you have received. Freely you should give. Verse 10. You are witness. And God also. How devoutly and justly and blamelessly we behaved among you who believe. As you know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father does his own children. See, that doesn't sound like really 
fun and friendly and you know what I'm saying? I mean, you know, you remember the labor, the toil, laboring night and day, how we weren't a burden to you. We preached, you know, we exhorted, comfort, charged every one of you as a father does his own children. There's, there's a fair amount of command and demand. I will never forget. I, I had no idea how stoned and liberal and empty-headed I was when I surrendered my life to Christ and started being taught the Word of God. I will remember, the I will never forget the first time I was uh, having an opinion about a certain passage in the Scripture and interpreting it in a way that was very comfortable for me. And the pastor of that church in that Bible study said right out loud, witnessed right in front of everybody, he said, no. You are wrong. And I was deeply offended. Young, you know, fresh out of jail, completely of the world, completely wrong, liberal mindset. And here's this. And I start to say, hey, you know, you can't say that somebody's opinion is wrong. And he said, yeah, I can. Because right here, and he just read and corrected me from the word of God. And I was left with, oh, wow, I'm nothing but wrong. Because if I'm going to hold to the word of God as being the absolute authority, and can somebody can just turn the page and show me right that your opinion just like shattered right here. This is what the word of God says. But he quickly took me from there over to Matthew chapter 7 and showed me do, Jesus doing the same thing to the crowd of people, Sermon on the Mount. You know, the Beatitudes, as Jesus says, you've heard it said, but I tell you, you've heard it said, but I tell you, he corrects the teaching over and over again. And it says at the end in chapter seven that all the crowd was astonished because he taught differently than the Pharisees, the religious teachers. He taught as one having authority. When you could say, yes, no, this is correct. That's incorrect. From the word of God, especially those that claim to be part of the body of Christ, should shut their mouths at that point. Now, do you believe the word of God to be infallible? Well, then when we discover, and I'm not talking about one of those areas that we can interpret. I'm talking about an area that the scripture corrects us. Paul was there in the midst of these people, working hard, taking care of his mission. But what he was teaching, exhorting, comforting, charging everyone with correction and teaching so that they could live properly in their relationship with the Lord, as a father does his own children, that you would walk worthy of God who calls you into his own kingdom and glory. So there's a standard to live by. It isn't just your opinion. You know, that's, that's what the Universalist Unitarians have done. We'll just all gather together. We'll call it church. And whatever your opinion is, that's perfectly fine for you. We'll all, there's a, you know, couple quaint little songs we all sing together. You know, we do a bunch of things that, boy, they really feel Christian. You know, you ever, you ever have somebody do that? Like, I'll never, never forget, you know, it was uh, Stevia, you know, being told it's just like sugar. So, yeah, I mean, you got to use a lot less, but it's just, you got to try it. And I'm saying, just like sugar, artificial sweetener, you know, wow. How about substitute sweetener? 
You can't just take stevia and dump it on your tongue. I mean, sugar has an entirely different experience. Yeah, I could do. Uh, you're handling Mormonism, Jehovah's Witnesses. That's the same thing. They're all Christian. People want to say, no, it's not. Not even remotely. There's a bad aftertaste. <laughs> Jesus is not the half-brother of Lucifer. It's not the way it is. He's not Michael the Archangel either. He's Jesus. The Trinity's real. And you can try to rearrange it all you want to. What I have been taught, what I have been instructed in, causes me to know and understand the truth of God's word. And that's what he's saying to this church. We raise you up in such a way that you can handle and distinguish and discern what is and what is not from the Lord. Power of the Holy Spirit, the word of God in your hands. You will be able to. We instructed you like fathers so that you could learn, grow, and know. You can know your salvation. Verse 13, for this reason we also thank God without ceasing, again, upon every remembrance, because when you had received the word of God, which you heard from us, you welcomed it, not as the word of men. See, here's that whole thing I was just sort of railing on, but it, as it is in the truth, the word of God, which also effectively works in you who believe. For you, brethren, became imitators of the church of God, which are in Judea in Christ Jesus. You, you knew the model. You knew the example. You knew how to follow uh, you know, correct doctrine. I uh, <clears throat> I always like it when we're traveling and you end up someplace and you're going to go to like another church and you you know you do your best homework and then you get there and you still got that sort of like concern of I wonder what this sermon's going to be like. And then you can sense the Holy Spirit and here comes the message and whether it's verse by verse you just recognize grounded in the truth and it's grounded in the word and there's an ease that occurs uh, you know for the true believer to just like oh okay i don't have to like sit here and be worried and critique the rest of this these are fellow believers who are preaching the gospel you know what we brought to you paul is saying and you saw what was going on in the other churches and you recognize you could follow us our example and be imitators of those churches why reinvent the wheel yeah Call up your fellow church, your fellow denomination, your brothers and sisters around and say, how do you guys do things over there? Say, On this subject, what's your teaching? I just, uh, I got these three verses. I'm looking at this block. I'm just, what's your take? You know, the church is working and communicating the truths of God's word to one another. You saw Judea, you saw what was happening, and you imitated them. For you also suffered the same things from your own countrymen. The church at Thessalonica, just as they did from the Judeans who killed both the Lord Jesus and their own prophets and have persecuted us. There's a history here, fellas. This isn't something new. This is what this religious belief system generates, right? Legalism rooted in pride can only generate religion that extends from the flesh. That's all it can do. There's no way around it. The Holy Spirit working in people's lives produces an entirely different thing. The fruit Paul's talking about. They're ready for the return of Christ. 
They're not worried and concerned. They're imitators who killed both the Lord Jesus and the prophets, speaking of those false teachers, and have persecuted us. And they do not please God and are contrary to all men. That's something I've noticed over the years. People that are highly legalistic like this, that are trying to be all grumpy in the church today, you talk to the people that are around them, experience them, and you're, what you're going to find out is there's a common denominator. Whether you're talking about church or work or wherever. Right? That old AA statement that was sort of telling us you couldn't run away from your problem. Geographical cure, as they would say, right? I moved from Maine down to Texas to get away from my problems, you know, new start and get it. Yeah. And in six months, you were doing the same thing all over again. Why? Yeah. Never forget. Always remember wherever you go, you can always say, here I am. You're the common denominator, you know, in this home, in this family, in this workplace, if this, you know, there has to come a point where either side of this, doing good or doing bad, you can recognize that person was in that work environment and over there and then in this and in that apartment they rented and those people all have good opinions of them. Yeah, got Judaizers over here that are saying terrible things about Paul. But when I go and talk to people that actually experience Paul, flip it around, <clears throat> all of these people that are coming you know, as Judaizers trying to derail the works that are going on in Christianity, Paul is saying, why don't you just look for a second of their behavior and the hate that they're expressing towards me for teaching the truth. And the way they're attacking me and persecuting me, as they did Jesus, as they did the prophet. This is like a one-track mind here of those that are actually rebelling against God. He's trying to teach the church at Thessalonica, you can actually, as we talk about often, be fruit inspectors. Somebody says, oh, you know, Died in the world, born again Christian, but I'm watching your life, and I that's not the evidence that I see. I'm not seeing that fruit in your life. I'm not seeing that submission. They killed the prophets, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved, so as always to fill up the measure of their sins. Wrath has come upon them to the uttermost. What a terrible thing. To think that there would actually be a person who would recognize, oh, there's someone who's being drawn into Christianity and for them to go over and interfere. You know, you can't talk to this. I, You know, some examples that are interesting. Israel can't evangelize children under the age of 18 years old there. Against the law. People do it all the time. <laughs> but there is state mandate that says you cannot, they're Jewish, you know, by blood and religiously, and it is illegal for you to evangelize them under 18. When they get to 18 and they make consenting choices of their own, you can have conversations about it with them at that point, and they can choose for themselves, but not until they're 18. You, know, you actually got to verify if you're trying to be obedient to all of that nonsense. You know, here, we're just preaching the gospel to you, plain and simple, and now people have come along and tried to create a division between your heart and my heart to separate you away from you, forbidding us to speak to the Gentiles that they may be saved. That's the ultimate goal. No, you can't talk 
to them. But we, brethren, have been taken away from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored more eagerly to see your face with great desire. Therefore, we want to come to you, even I, Paul, time and again. But Satan hindered us. This is an interesting statement right there. Satan hindered us. Because the corresponding passage in Acts, Paul states that it was the Holy Spirit that hindered them from going. And that it was during a period of time where he was very sick. So some people want to create a conflict there. And I would just quickly remind you of Job. Who Satan is before the father. And God basically holds Job up as an example before Satan and says, Have you noticed this guy who lives the way that he should? And Satan says, sure, but let me touch him, and he'll curse you to your face. And God says, okay, and you know I'm paraphrasing, and they go through a series of stages where God allows Satan to directly impact Job's life, death of his children, illness, all of his flocks destroyed, money, home, everything's in ruin. Powerful touch of Satan. Here, you know, the fact that we're being told that Satan hindered them, and then you read in the book of Acts that the Holy Spirit prevented them from going, right? One and the same message in that God the Father is the one that our enemy has to seek permission to affect any one of us. This is doctrinally accurate, not only for, you know, a nitpicker sense of things. This also applies to you and I. Your enemy can't touch you any longer or deeper than what Christ says so. Which, in a way, at times, stinks. Because the longer the difficulty goes on, you have to embrace the idea that God is allowing this. In which case, you then have to develop a whole new level of relationship with the Lord. Where you walk through long-term affliction. And you trust him moment to moment with that. This group of people is saying to Paul, we have trouble and there's people here causing division. And Paul is sending a loving, like a nursing mother, cherishing her own child, a letter that says, hey, shake off all of that weirdness. and Focus where you're supposed to be on the soon eminent return of Jesus Christ. Think about the fellowships that are around you. Reconnect yourself. You have the strength of Christ, regardless of the trial you're currently under. You're still being led by Jesus. We need to sort of shake ourselves from time to time or have somebody shake us from time to time because we can get sort of into the gears of thing and lose sight of Christ is in control. At times it doesn't feel like that. You know, even if we're saying it with our mouth, we're sort of just like white knuckling the ride. <laughs> I had no idea what's going on. Just hanging on for dear life through these crisis difficulties. God's in control for this church and for every one of us. So with that time we have, we'll pick up at chapter three next week. Why don't we stand and we'll pray.
For what is our hope, our joy, our crown, rejoicing? Is it not even you in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For you are our glory and joy. You know, the, the right standing of the church, living the way they should, that's the evidence. That's, that's Paul's seal of approval. It is his credentials. Doesn't, he doesn't have to have a plaque on the wall. There's people in his midst whose lives have been changed by the ministry he worked in their midst. Father, help us to follow your word, to trust you, to see you work in our hearts and minds. Help us to relinquish control to you more and more with every passing day that we could see the differences rising up, how things used to be, how they are, and how they're developing into. Minister to us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.